the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to... Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer, Captain. All real man. Love is, is Love. too weak a word. Stay back. I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight, Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 49 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Ndeglia, and joining me today, I have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. So, Michael, first thing I want to come right out of the gate and ask you, because I have a lot to talk about in this regard, is did you happen to see anything this week? I did. I caught up with the big title from last week, which was Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk. Ooh, we could talk about its Oscar chances. Yay! Yes. So what do you think? So, uh, I know we talked about his films a little bit before, uh, a couple weeks ago on the show. This is probably my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. It's the first one that I loved. Like, like, unconditionally? I'd give it probably an eight and a half. Oh, okay. I know we don't do halves, but I'm giving it an eight and a half. So you couldn't get into that nine territory? Mm, maybe. Uh, we're going to say eight and a half. All right, all right. If I had to just pick a solid number eight. Oh, you would round it down if you had to go solid? I think so, but I didn't really give it that much thought. The, the movie itself, though, was uh, quite the achievement. You know, he's always been someone who's been a great director, but the screenplays I don't think have always been on par with what he's doing behind the camera. It's so funny because the Academy thinks the exact opposite of you. <laughs> I, I know. I just find it so bizarre that he hasn't gotten that director nom. Yeah. But what he's done here is taken a story that's already existing, a historical event, and putting his signature touch on it with emotion that he hasn't been able to capture before. And I just was blown away by what he's doing in all elements. So I was very, very impressed. I liked the film quite a bit. And seeing it in IMAX 70 millimeter was incredible. Yeah, I think it's his most mature film to date. There are, are times when I'm watching it and I don't even feel like this is being made by a mainstream director. This feels like it could be some sort of an art house foreign film in the way that it's... Well, it's mostly silent, so yeah, yeah. you don't see that so often in the mainstream. Yeah, it's like an impressionistic uh, war film, essentially. Uh, for me, in terms of comparing it to other war films, and I've said this before uh, many times, it's unlike any war film I've ever seen before. I wouldn't know how to compare it to something because of the stylistic choices that he does make in it that help to separate apart and make it unique. You don't see blood. You don't see the enemy. It's just sort of like you're in the moment. Yeah. And there's no characterization or anything of that sort. So, I mean... There isn't on-the-surface characterization, but you sort of see layers when you look into a few of the characters. Like Mark Rylance doesn't say a whole lot, but just looking into his eyes, you see a history there. Yeah, I mean, did they ever imply, and maybe you caught on to this, and maybe I didn't, or I'm just reading too much into it. Did they imply that he served in World War One? Oh, I think there was some history with him. They mentioned, of course, a uh, minor spoiler alert, that uh, he had a son who was fighting too. And that's uh, sort of yeah. what sets all of this off. Sure. But yeah, I'm sure given his age and uh, what he's done, mm -hmm. I'm sure he has some sort of war history. And then also too, I mean... It's 
kind of unbelievable to me when I see the reactions to, uh, that people had to Tom Hardy's character in the sky. His face is covered up by a mask. Half the time, you don't know what he's saying. But with him, too, you're taking on this emotional journey where by the end, you really do care about what's going to happen to this guy who has risked everything to save as many men as he can. And then you see what happens once he takes his mask off. And mm-hmm. it's like that could be another movie in itself. Yeah, I mean, it's essentially like three short films all put together to tell this event story. It's not really a story where the characters interact with one another and they all meet up at some point or anything of that sort. It's really uh, focusing on this event from a macro level and really honing in on it. And I think that, you know, to capture everything in camera, uh, the use of tension, the score, this is a surefire Oscar contender like this this film will be something that we are going to be talking about in December oh no doubt across the board I I mean is there anything that you think that it will have a hard time getting into as far as the uh, Oscar categories are concerned I think of the ones that are in contention like of course we're not going to say best animated feature which would of course (laughs) be the toughest climb but uh of the two toughest categories right now I would say uh, best original screenplay and best supporting actor. Yeah, I really don't think it's getting in for screenplay. I really don't. You just never know with them. You know, they've given him two nominations before. If all the branches go for the movie, I'm not going to discount it. And uh, same goes for supporting actor. You know, we talked about this last week. Rye Lance is a beloved guy. He's easily the showiest part of the movie. So we'll see. I mean, they could definitely happen. We'll keep an eye on them. Yeah, I don't buy into the Rylands hype too, too much. I have them at a very hesitant number five on my predictions right now. As do I. Simply because I was, honestly, I was talked into it. Um, But I really, really do believe that people are just really excited because the movie is pretty damn good. And people are championing him because they really like him. I don't think that this heat with that kind of a quiet, subtle performance can last all the way until the end of the year when we have so many other contenders on the horizon. Although some contenders could drop off, uh, get pushed into next year. You never really know, obviously. But I mean, when you look at some of the stuff that we have upcoming, like Woody Harrelson in The Glass Castle, Willem Dafoe in... um, uh, the Florida Project, Florida project. Uh, Steve Buscemi and Lean on Pete, maybe, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that could happen that could bump him out. We still don't we, like we don't even know based on the trailer. We don't know if Ben Mendelsohn is a thing for Darkest Hour. You know what I mean? Right. It's only July, so we will see what happens. He's certainly one to keep in contention, though, because he's so good in the movie. You know what movie I saw this week that. I don't want to get into too much here because it's actually going to be our main review next week, but another contender possibly for supporting actor could be Will Poulter for Detroit. Ah. Yeah, so I saw Detroit this week, and suffice to say, it blew me away. It's one of my favorite films of the year, and I know that the controversy against it right now is pretty strong. I have a feeling that that controversy is going to die out when it leaves theaters in the fall, And I think that other Oscar films will obviously come around and we'll be focusing on them. But something tells me that the lasting impact and power of Detroit, for those that really do love it, will lead it to a Best Picture nomination. I have a feeling. Well, that'll be interesting to see because it's the first film to be distributed by Annapurna Pictures. They're new to this game in terms of just sheer distribution. So we will see what happens. Yeah. See anything else good this week? Yeah. So I saw Atomic Blonde this week. 
I didn't really like it, <laughs> as some other people did. Um, I'm gonna skip that one. I think. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know, go crazy about it. It's really not amazing. Um, although some people do think it is. I mean, good for them. I just think it's a mess of a movie and it's a convoluted plot and it really does not make a whole lot of sense by the time you get to the end. But whatever. Then I saw Good Time with Robert Pattinson. Oh, a can title. Look at you. Mm-hmm. And I really liked it. I don't know how much of that was because it was shot where I live on Long Island and also shot in Queens and a lot of the areas that they were shooting in were uh, places that I've been to before and I, like, I'm like i very familiar with the area. But it wasn't even so much that. Um, Robert Padson, the buzz that you heard about him coming out of Cannes is warranted. He is pretty incredible in this. And his use of his accent um his just overall like physicality like how he carries himself you know he completely disappears into this role here and it's unlike anything i've ever seen him do before and he just has like such a commanding presence all over the entire film um and there's a couple other interesting choices done throughout in terms of the music um the way that it's shot that i found to be quite unique and it really did present a good time for me (laughs) at the uh movie theater so I heard someone describe it as Sidney Lumet directing Scorsese's After Hours. That is a great comparison. I'm I'm totally I'm totally down with it. I think that that's very good. I am eager to see that. This sounds like good titles. Uh, the other thing I saw was not an Oscar contender by any means, but it was very very enjoyable, and that is Girls Trip. Oh yes, tell me about it. My sister has been begging me to check it out. So Girls Trip may be the surprise of the summer, sort of like Bridesmaids was a couple of years ago. You know, it's uh, four female friends having a weekend together, fun ladies weekend. It is very smart, very, very funny. Like, I don't think I've laughed uh, this much since maybe Spy or something in that summer when we had Spy and Trainwreck. It's very funny. Uh, like I said, smart, uh, great performances, especially from Tiffany Haddish who's making her name known here. Just raunchy, but also grounded at the same time. It's very similar to Melissa McCarthy in Bridesmaids. Now, remind me again, this is the same movie where, um, in the trailer, they have that line where they're talking about booty ho. Yes, and I was very surprised to be buying a ticket for the movie where they have the line about booty ho. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying, because I, I, didn't, I didn't expect much from this movie based upon the trailers. I mean, it looked funny to a certain degree, but... It, it, you're right. It did look raunchy, and it. I, I mean, I, you know, just based on the trailers, it didn't sell. It didn't sell me. But man, oh man, the more I'm hearing about it, the more and more I'm just like, I need to find the time. I might actually go today. Uh, tell you it the truth, settles cause... in, and it really becomes a sweet story about a bond between these four women and what keeps them together. Well, that's good because I saw a rough night recently with Scarlett Johansson, and I was not a fan of that. Uh, oh, rough night. Yeah, I just wasn't a fan of that one. So I'm hoping that this could be better. And maybe that's what's preventing me from wanting to go is that, like, I just saw this recently. I feel like with, you know, with white women now to see it, uh, you know, from from a black female perspective, I, you know, it could be different. And that that as a result for me is something that I find interesting. Uh, I There's think I'm, no I murder think, mystery in this one. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, I think I'm going to go today. I think I think you sold me on it. 
You'll like it. It's very funny. It has a heart, and the performances are all great. It's like I said, Tiffany Haddish is the the breakout, but you also have Regina Hall, Queen Latifah, and Jada Pickett Smith. Awesome. And there's even a cameo by Ava DuVernay. Oh, get out of here, the Queen herself. Yeah. She's there. That is fantastic. Oh, that's so cool. Awesome. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, it sounds like we both had uh, pretty good weeks this week in terms of uh, stuff that we were able to catch up on. So that's really, really good to hear. Um, I want to address this up front, first and foremost. I asked uh, people last week to uh, give us a review on iTunes, and uh, we would read those out loud. And so that is exactly what I am going to do right now. Uh, First review here is... Uh, from B-K-L-Y-N-V-I-C. So I guess that stands for Brooklyn Vic. Uh, great insight, five stars. Smart dudes talking about good and bad flicks. Good stuff. Good stuff indeed. Uh, we have this one here from Maddie Momomo, uh, who also rates it five stars, saying passionate peeps. Uh, these guys really love their movies and TV shows. Good discussions on awards predictions. I'm so glad that I found this podcast. And we also then have another review here from our winner for the contest giveaway this week. This is from AKGRL33. Movies, 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 rated five stars. Great podcast talking everything movies and TVs of the week. The uh, winner here uh, for AKGIRL33 was chosen at random. Be sure once you hear this podcast to send me a message on the Twitter. And I will give you your prize. And heading into next week now, we are actually going to be running the contest again for one more week and leading up to our 50th episode next week. I figured why not celebrate the 50th episode with another giveaway. So let's do it again. Send in reviews over to iTunes for the next Best Picture podcast. Either drop me a DM on Twitter to let me know, or I will read them out the following week. And if you hear that your review was read and then I announced you as the winner, shoot me a message on Twitter and we'll get in touch and I will give you your prize. So thank you guys very, very much for all the kind words and all the feedback. We really, really, really do appreciate it. Sticking with this theme of feedback, though, we also have our results from our poll last week. So... Last week's poll asked, which is your favorite European set spy film? And we got quite a lot of answers here and lots of uh, choices all over the map. In number one, though, with 25% of the vote. Michael, do you care to take a guess? 25% of the vote for European spy film. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't think it was my favorite for just spies. (laughs) So, hmm. You know, there were so many movies on the list, I don't know what it was. Well, I will tell you. The choice with 25% of the vote for winner of favorite European set spy film was Skyfall. Well, I can't argue with that. That's a terrific movie. Absolutely. Uh, guess what was the runner-up, though, with 16.67% of the vote? Most Wanted Man? Nope. Although that would have been awesome if actually if that film had placed that high. No, it was The Lives of Others. Really? Yep. Okay, well, that's actually not so far off from Most Wanted Man. Mm-hmm. 
No, Lives of Others is a phenomenal film. If nobody has seen that movie, uh, definitely seek it out. I remember that my curiosity for it was really sparked when it won the Best Foreign Language Film Oscar over Pan's Labyrinth, which I, you know, I was picking Pan's Labyrinth for other categories to win that year, and I just thought it was going to win Best Foreign Language Film along with it. But when Lives of Others won, I was like, okay, I got to I gotta see this now, <laughs> if it's that good, you know? <laughs> and it is, so... Uh, in third place, then with thirteen point eighty nine percent of the vote, uh, the third place winner was Kingsman: The Secret Service. Yeah. I mean, it's an enjoyable film for those that love it. You know, I, I have to admit, I'm not really that big on the movie myself, but that church scene though with Colin uh, Firth is uh, is something that always gets me every time I watch it. I find that to be so. The f- church scene is well directed and edited, but it leaves a really bad taste in my mouth. Yeah. Mm. Okay, I get it. (laughs) Uh, But for this week's poll, uh, we're asking everybody in preparation for Detroit, uh, which Mark Bull, Catherine Bigelow film is your favorite? And the choices are The Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Dirty, or if you've seen it, Detroit. Uh, We understand that Detroit may or may not uh, be, you know, a victor here as a result of not many people having a chance to have seen it. However, I do want to let everybody know that voting will be available until the end of day on Saturday, and that day will be August 5th. So if you do happen to see Detroit on Thursday, Friday, or sometime on Saturday before midnight, be sure to head over to the poll section on nextbestpicture.com and cast your vote. Uh, with that said, too, and just tying everything over together here, uh, let's talk about uh, Detroit for a minute here. Let's talk about Hurt Locker. Let's talk about Zero Dark Thirty. Um, Michael, what are your thoughts on the Mark Bowl catherine Bigelow collaboration that has been going on now for almost uh, a decade here? Well, you know, I won't see Detroit until this Saturday, so I could only speak of uh, the first two movies. They're incredible. I mean, they are, in a sense, a form of journalism, but done with such energy, the way that Catherine Bigelow directs the film, gets right in your face and leaves a mark. It's really incredible filmmaking and writing. And I'm so glad that The Hurt Locker won Best Picture. Of course, we got to see the first female Best Director win. Yeah. But that film is so visceral, so impactful, that I can't imagine anyone being against it. Yeah, I remember 2009, Hurt Locker was playing in theaters. I remember seeing it on Rotten Tomatoes, and I think it had like a 98% or something along those lines. And I told my sister, I was like, we need to go see this movie. Because I'm like, I can't remember a war film having this high of a Rotten Tomatoes score. And some of these reviews are giving it like, you know, A+, 10 out of 10, 5 stars, etc. Like perfect ratings across the board. I was like, I really need to see this for myself. And I remember it was playing in one theater around my area, and we drove in a car, we went and saw it, and it was so freaking good. We saw it like in the afternoon, and I loved it so much that I called up a bunch of my friends, and we saw it a second time in the evening, and this time, me and my sister had uh, some of my friends with me. And even they were like, Matt, what are you dragging us to? Matt, what's going on? Like, what? They went in completely blind and cold to this, and just based purely on my recommendation. And sure enough, they loved it. Next thing you know, next week, it's out of the theater. And that is the sad story of The Hurt Locker in that it didn't catch on at the box office that year famously, as everyone remembers, it was the... Until later on. Well, not even. It was the lowest grossing uh, Best Picture winner until Moonlight. But didn't they bring it back? I mean, they brought it back and it made a little bit more money. But heading into, uh, you know, that Oscar race, it, it made like virtually nothing. 
pretty much. I mean, uh, yeah. And that it, was the year it was up against Avatar, which was the highest grossing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was that David Goliath story of uh, nuts and bolts filmmaking versus this new technology that had come around. And Jim James Cameron was, like, portrayed as, like, the I, – I don't want to say, like, evil, like, villain of the story against him versus Bigelow. But just people really sided with Bigelow. You know what I mean? And they had been married, which was even funnier. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and he was very happy to see her win. Um, and listen, he made a ton of money off of Avatar. So, you know, I'm sure he will not complain about not winning an Oscar. And his film ended up winning three Oscars anyway. So, <laughs> you know, all for its technical achievements. Uh, I, I think that that was one of the most. What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, I, I think there was I think there was so much justice in that Oscar year. I was so, so, so happy because I remember that Golden Globe ceremony. Do you remember that night when James Cameron won? In 2009 or 2010? Mm Mm-hmm. James Cameron wins Best Director and Avatar wins Best Picture that night. Yeah. And you just felt like the whole air in the room just just got sucked out. You know what I mean? That was quite the race for a little bit. I know. And then the little movie that could... Ended up doing it. Yeah, man. It, that like I remember I was on the edge of my seat all season long. And uh, funny enough, I remember I won a contest at school uh, because everybody was like picking Avatar to win, but I picked the Hurt Locker to win. And I remember like I won some sort of a thing through like my school newspaper, and I got like <laughs> Islanders tickets or something. I, I you know, whatever. <laughs> but um, yeah, man. It, like that was just a really, really, really crazy time. And like I said, there's so much justice in that victory, and it was so goddamn satisfying that Zero Dark Thirty comes out a couple of years later. And to this day, when I rewatch Zero Dark Thirty, I really cannot believe that people got into such a hissy fit about that film as much as they did when it came to the quote unquote torture scenes. I really, like, they're not as bad as people made them out to be. And I just don't, to this day, I really don't understand the argument that was being made. And what was the, I mean, I get that there was a hidden agenda behind these arguments. But I just don't think it was warranted. And this was a complete injustice because it may have resulted in Catherine Bigelow not getting a Best Director nomination for that film that year. Which was criminal to me because I thought her work on Zero Dark Dirty was better than The Hurt Locker. Yeah, I mean, that was a strange situation, what happened with Zero Dark Thirty. Of course, you have these senators writing a letter to Sony saying that the events portrayed in the film were not accurate. Who knows what really happened? But it was just this whole storm, and whenever you have a movie as buzzy as this one, you know, the story about the Bin Laden raid and a time in American political history that is not agreed on by everybody. It's always going to stir up something. So I'm not surprised that it happened. Should it have happened? That's a different story. And I don't know what it is. I'm just a sucker for um, information films and, you know, those kinds of films where they just overload you with dates and facts and pieces of information like All the President's Men, Zodiac, um, JFK, these procedural films where journalists or, in this case, the CIA is trying to take all this intel and piece it together in a, you know, in Zero Dark Thirty's case, like a manhunt, or in the case of something like All the President's Men to bust a scandal, you know, within the White House. I, I, I really love those kinds of films, those procedural films. And 
when I look back and I'm and I see that Quentin Tarantino won an Oscar for Django over Mark Bowl for Zero Dark Thirty, I sometimes wish that things had been reversed and Quentin Tarantino had won the Oscar for Inglorious Bastards and Mark Bowl would have won instead for Zero Dark Thirty. Yeah, I mean everyone's gonna have their own view of it. Yeah, I suppose. And then we now flash forward over here to Detroit. Obviously, we don't know what its Oscar chances necessarily are. We talked a little bit a little bit about them before. I think that Bigelow does some of the best directing work of her career in this film. I really do. At 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 points, I don't know if it on a whole if it would be considered her strongest. And to tell you the truth, of the three, Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Dirty, Detroit, I do consider Detroit to be the weakest of the three. But that doesn't mean that I think it's a terrible film by any means. It's one of my favorite films of the year. I think it has probably the best acting of, of the films that she's uh, done. And I think the ensemble in this movie is absolutely incredible. And that if they don't get a SAG ensemble nomination, uh, then I really don't think there was justice in this world <laughs> at all. Uh, but one thing I have to say about these three films and the lens that they are portrayed through is I love that these films are honing in on a specific piece of America, whether it be our war overseas or if it's our war back at home to fight ter- terrorism or if it's a war in the past that has ties to t- t- today. Um, I really love that Mark Bowl has taken this journalistic approach with the stories that he's choosing to write and that Bigelow is taking a personal investment to tell those stories um, in a no-holds-barred manner. Um, I, I think their collaboration is something that you know, should they continue to keep working together? I mean, I, I just want them to keep making films together until Bigelow, you know, doesn't can't make films anymore. Personally, I don't want to see her work with another screenwriter or producer at this point. Yeah, I mean, Detroit is getting good reviews, and even though you said it might be the weakest of their entries, yeah, I'm interested to see what other topics they could cover because there's a lot throughout American history, both past and modern, that they could look at. Exactly, and if they keep finding interesting and unique ways to explore um, these pieces of American history. You know, one's a war film, one's a CIA uh, procedural drama. The other one is a uh, drama that's set in the past that's uh, telling a, you know, a historic incident event that took place. You know, each one is different. Um, If she made another war film, I wouldn't know how I would feel about that. If she made another film that was about the CIA, I wouldn't know how I feel about that, and so on and so forth. So, I'm hoping that if they do continue to work together, they find stories that are able to separate themselves from the last one. And my God, please, for the love of God, do not take five years again to make another film. Uh, You know, three years is fine. You know, the gap between Zero Dark Thirty and The Hurt Locker was okay. But five years is too long for me to wait for another great film from these two. (laughs) Hey, you know what? You got to do your research sometime. That is true. That is true. All righty. Uh, so Detroit going wide this weekend, August 4th, be sure to check it out, everybody. It's, um, it's a film that's very, very intense. It's very moving at times. And yes, it can be very overwhelming, but I assure you that even though it might be the horror version equivalent of Selma, I think that the impact that it will have on you is one that you will not forget. And two, um, I think it's totally vital and necessary. So 
please check it out. Hello, everyone. This is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Each week, we review the latest from Hollywood, California. Well, yes, Brendan. We also give top three lists. Okay. Yeah. Thanks again, Brendan. Additionally, you can hear us talk other movie news, trailers, varying movie series, or other interesting film-related topics, and even rants and raves of the week. That's correct, Brendan. On top of our main show, every Friday... You can also hear our extra film podcasts. Good job, Brendan. Thank you, JD. It's my goal to make you proud. You're the father, after all. (laughs) Yes, and I'm very proud. Uh, You can listen to the In Session Film podcast on... iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or at InSessionFilm.com. Brendan, will you please let me complete just one... Nope. Oh, for heaven's sake. Listen to the In Session Film podcast every Monday and Friday. Subscribe today and hear me verbally beat JD like a Cherokee drum. No, 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 no. That's not kidding? how this works, sir. Hey, no, you, you, no, no, you no. go cry at Midnight Special again, oh, okay? Oh, That's what you're I, I good will. for. I will. You know what? And I'll do it while pummeling you. I'll do both at the same time. How are you going to pummel me? Yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't buy it. That's just how <laughs> it works. You ready for some fan questions? Let's hear them. All righty. So, first fan question right here. Uh, yeah, let's do let's do this one to start off. This one is from Brent Leone at Faker Brent Leone. Uh, which movie coming out in August are we most anticipating the most? Hmm. Logan Lucky's in a few weeks. I think I'm gonna have to go with Detroit. I mean, I would say Detroit, but I've already seen it. So for me, I'll say Wind River. Okay, and that premiered at Sundance, so we know a little bit about that quality. Well, I'm very curious to see where I fall on it because I know some people were saying that the film is weak, and I'm just curious to know if I think it's weak or if I think it's in the middle or if I think it's, you know, fantastic. So I really don't know where I will fall in regards to Wind River, so I'm very curious to find out for myself. Plus, a great Jeremy Renner performance is something that we have not seen in quite a while, and you know, talking about the Hurt Locker before, I mean, this guy, you know, when he is on, he is very much on. So I'm very curious to find out. He had out. those two years, the Hurt Locker and the town, and then he just sort of fell into the Avengers world and Mission Impossible. Exactly. Exactly. So I'm very, very excited to see him try to get back to uh, these kinds of roles and see what that, where that leads him ultimately within the season. Um, let's see what else we got here. Ooh, from Matt St. Clair at FilmGuy619, what is one Oscar win that you agree with, even though you would have gone with another choice? That's a good question that I agree with. Honestly, the one that we just had, Moonlight, was not my favorite movie of the year, but I like everything that the win represents. Yeah. Can I can I do a little bit of a flip on that? Because the Moonlight La La Land War is never going to be over in my eyes. Um, <laughs> I do not... Do not dispute the Damien Chazelle Best Director win in the slightest, but I would have personally have given it to Barry Jenkins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, um, we could do this all day. I mean, there's there's so many different Oscar wins that in the context of, well, I won't dispute this, but I really wish that person had gotten it. I mean, how often do we say this? All the time, like even when we were just talking about the Hurt Locker, I love that that movie won. I love that Catherine Bigelow won Best Director. If I had a ballot, I don't think I'd vote for them, but I'm very happy that it happened. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that this is something that can occur every single year. You know, God, Mark Rylance uh, winning for Bridge of Spies is another one from me where he was not my number one choice, but I totally, totally do not argue the win because I can see. I can totally see what it was that he was doing in that performance that would give him the win. 
So Right, and that's the beauty of it. Like you have these nominees for a reason. People all have their uh, different favorites, and then it's just whatever gets the most number one votes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and uh, uh, there's a lot of times where I would like to think, I, I like to have the illusion that the Oscars do award the best, but I know it's not true. Nah. I like to cling to that, though, sometimes. I, you know, for, I'll give a great example of this. Um, Kenny Lonergan winning last year from Manchester by the Sea. That was the best in its category last year, in my opinion, as far as a writing achievement was concerned. So, but then again, like you could argue with me and say that it wasn't, you know, for as far as a writing achievement is concerned, you maybe thought, I don't know, that Damien Chazelle for La La Land was more deserving. And that is the beauty about the wins and the losses and the fact that. At the end of the day, when these guys get up on the stage and they say, I want to congratulate my fellow nominees, you know, or it's just an honor to be nominated or whatever the case may be, the nomination is the win when you really think about it. Absolutely. You're having all these people saying, we thought you were the best of the year, and then it's taking what everyone thinks is the best and choosing one of them. Exactly. So, yeah, good question that we could go on for days with. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you see as the likely best animated nominees slash winner in such a weak year? This is from Matthew Garrell at Nova MG7. Yeah, so this year does not have a lot of clear contenders. But just looking ahead, and you'll probably agree with me on this, I think Coco is our front runner. Yeah, unfortunately, because I, I just Well, hate- why is that unfortunate? I think it's unfortunate because I... I hate the fact that it is such a weak year. Um, I liked how last year Zootopia opened up so early and all year heading into the final stretch, we were like, is anything going to dethrone Zootopia? And Kubo and the Two Strings came out and, you know, people didn't really consider it that much. Like they knew it was going to get nominated, but then when it came down to what was actually going to win, um, it was a very heated race, I believe, actually, because there was a lot of support drumming up towards the end there. And there was... Some... It, it won at BAFTA. Exactly. You know, and it got a lot of uh, tech uh, mentions at the guilds, got a Best Visual Effects nomination, which is insane for an animated movie. You know, so... Yeah. That was that was a race, you know, whether you think Zootopia was always going to be the winner or not. That was something that was a very, very exciting for us. This year, I feel like it's only going to take one film to come out that's just going to be good enough and people are going to just check it off. And that's boring. And remember that this is the first year that all of the Academy gets to pick the nominees, not just the animator, the animators branch. Oh, God. Oh, God. So we could see Boss Baby, Despicable Me no. 3, Cars 3. No. Ah. No. <laughs> Dear God, no. Keep the foreign uh, films in there you know i i love that the animated branch is something is something that puts in foreign films all the time i love that aspect about the uh animated branch but i feel like this is the first year where we're not going to have that and we're going to actually have a very 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 weak slate of nominees i wonder if it's even going to be five yeah there's been a lot of talk about that as well Mm, i think it will be but who knows at this point? I mean, there are some things that could come around that could shock us, or there are some animated films from earlier in the year that maybe we're not considering, but maybe we should be, like Captain Underpants. Well, you know, they have nominated uh, Jackass Presents Bad Grandpa, so... Yeah, 
Lego Batman movie <laughs> could be in contention, which is crazy when you consider that that film opened up back in what February. Yeah, early February. So, I, I don't know. It's a very very tough call this year. Uh, what else do we got here? <sighs> this one is from uh, Ella Gossip underscore Ella. Just give me Saoirse Ronan talk. She says, "Is there any yeah. hope for a third nomination with so much competition?" Third nomination this year, you mean? Mm-hmm. Well, that's an interesting question because she has Lady Bird that'll be coming out later this fall, the Greta Gerwig movie. Yep. And then there was talk of her other one, uh, sort of a spiritual sequel to Atonement from the same author. Uh, something Beach, I'm blanking on the name of it. That'll probably be next year. So as for Lady Bird, you know, I don't know a whole lot about it. I think it's a story about a college student in California. So we'll learn more about it. But if she's good enough, I don't see why not. She just got a nomination two years ago. Yeah. It's a good point. And she um, she almost won. No, she didn't. When you really think no, about it. Earlier, like in November, there was talk of her winning. Dude, Brie Larson swept. Not swept. necessarily. New York film critics pick Sears Heron. Yeah, but Brie Larson too. won there was BAFTA, SAG, Golden Globe, Critics' Choice. It, she right. won it when all. When those started happening, it became clear. But before the televised awards, it was a race. Uh, yeah. But then again, uh, as we always kind of say each year, do the critics really matter? I mean, I think they matter in terms of getting a film a nomination, but the wins don't really start mattering until the guilds have their say. So uh, let's see what else we got here. But we do love Searsha. Let's make that clear. I, you kidding me? Brooklyn, she, she gained all of my respect in the entire world. I love Brooklyn so much. As do I. Beautiful, beautiful performance and a great great talent uh, this is from paul rye at crazy martin 434 do you guys take wonder woman getting a best picture nomination seriously of course warner brothers will throw mo- tons of money into it but will ampus really drink the kool-aid so here's the deal with wonder woman i'm very glad it made the money that it did i'm very glad it did well for the genre even though i wasn't a huge fan of the movie just for genre reasons i'm glad it Scratch the itch that everybody had. So, you know, I think there's one thing to look at it in June and July and say, hey, this has a chance of doing something later on in the year and then actually getting to that point later on in the year when you have 20 more movies and saying, oh, well, I don't think Wonder Woman really stands a shot. So, no, I don't think it breaks in, but I'm interested to see what Wonder Brothers does with it. So I want to just put in a little bit of context into this for our listeners out there. If there's anyone that represents the old guard of the Academy, it's Michael Schwartz. (laughs) Michael thinks like an old man. He is an old man within a young person's body. (laughs) He loves old people movies. He does not have a love for genre films, as is evident by his constant, constant um, defiance to see horror films or superhero films that when he does see any of these films we usually clap and jump for joy that he's expanding his horizons Michael is a 65 plus and older Academy member so whatever he's I'm not going to argue with any of this this is totally accurate <laughs> so what he's saying here like this is probably accurate unfortunately it is now I'll, I'll throw a little bit of a uh, 
bone towards the other side of the argument here, and that is to say, listen, Deadpool released in February of last year, okay? I did not take the Best Picture talk seriously at all. I know some people tried to make it happen. It was never going to happen. And the Guild representation that that film received, though, was so shocking to so many people. And Wonder Woman is a film that has probably more supporters, less backlash, and yes, Warner Brothers is going to throw more money at it. Just food for thought. There's a world in which it happens. I don't think it's this world, though. We'll see. We will see. That said, I do think it stands a chance below the line. So you have visual effects, maybe costume design, production design possibly. All that is up for grabs. Best picture is definitely a tougher argument, though. Yeah, uh, text. Even I'm a little shaky on the text right now. Maybe a sound. I don't see visual effects happening. The production design, costume design is something that could be a surprise mention that right now I just don't see it getting in because normally we know what Ampus tends to go for in that category. And superhero films are usually not it. Otherwise, I mean... You would see sting you like you would see Gardens of the Galaxy getting in for like costumes or something along those lines if they took the, these films as seriously, but here we are and these films don't really get in anywhere except for things like visual effects, makeup, and the sound categories. Although I still maintain that Rupert uh, Gregson Williams score for the film uh, is probably still my favorite of the year at this point, and I would be ecstatic if the music did get in. So there, there is that for me. Um, that would be my own personal win. Where if that film got the nomination, I would be very content with the fact that it even got that. So, alrighty, uh, let's talk about this week's trailer. One trailer this week compared to uh, last week where we had five. <laughs> but it's quite the trailer. Uh yeah, I I think it was. It was something that I was not expecting uh, to really embrace as I was when it was over. This is the film that is directed by George Clooney, starring Matt Damon, Julianne Moore, and a slew of others. It is written by the Coen Brothers. It is called Suburbicon. Welcome to Suburbicon, a town of great wonder and excitement. Hey there. Built with the promise of prosperity for all. Nikki, you need to get up. There are men in the house. There's something I have to tell you. Those men killed mom. We've decided it'd be best if your Auntie Margaret came and stayed with us. Nikki needs a mother. We'll be strong. We'll be fine. Mr. Lodge? Yes. You know a character named Rizzoli? He's a loan shark. If you were into the mob for money, that might explain what happened to your wife. Hi, pal. time that clown's gonna ignore us take care of a kid these animals took everything from us i have to make decisions like what's best for the family Progress on the investigation? A mobster got killed a couple of days ago. I can end the conversation real quick. I'm 
sorry for his loss. Of life? Yeah, I guess he probably is too. Nobody's speed. I'm here to collect. What do you want? I want all of it. All of it. Nothing like this ever happened here. This is a safe place. It was. Would you like a cup of coffee? Nobody's I could have you killed in no time. I'm gonna kill you, too. <laughs> so, before we get into our thoughts on this, we do have a question here from Al Robinson at AlRob underscore MN. Does Superbicon seem like a Best Picture nominee? I fucking love that trailer regardless of its possible Oscar chances. Well, I think we're going to know the answer to that very, very soon because this is the movie that will premiere at the Venice Film Festival and then go on to Toronto. So within a month, we'll know what the quality is. You know what? I'm not going to discount anything because it's a fall release, plays the festivals, and has quite the cast. What do you think, Matt? I think this looks enjoyable and fun. This does not look like a best picture contender yeah on its surface this looks i don't want to say genre because it's a little deeper than that i think it's coen brothers genre <laughs> yes the coen brothers i guess are their own genre that's very true because it literally this this film it may be directed by george clooney but this it look everything about this screams coen brothers everything and i'm sure they were involved in more than just the writing i think they were maybe on the set doing a few different things here and there because they definitely have the fingerprint of them on this trailer. I mean, we haven't really seen George Clooney kind of tackle material like this since, what, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind? Yeah, that was well over 15 years ago. Yeah, since then he's been, you know, dilly dabbling into history. But his goofy comedy has always kind of been a part of his work with the exception of Good Night and Good Luck. That is the kind of film that Oscar would go for. This does not strike me as the best picture, best director kind of a film. Now, what I could see is I could see screenplay. I could see production design, costumes. I could see that. Possibly. You know what? You can look at this a few different ways. And one of them, I know we were talking off air about this, Burn After Reading. When that came out in 2008, the Coen brothers had just won best picture, best director, best screenplay for No Country for Old Men. And they followed it up with this goofy uh, screwball comedy about information in Washington, and I think that was one of the greatest comedies of the last decade. Yet it didn't get any nominations. I don't know if that was disappointment, seeing that it came right after No Country. Maybe they didn't like the movie, or maybe they liked it just fine, but couldn't find room for it in any category. I think that, you know, post No Country for All Men, people had thought that the Coen brothers had just reached a new tier in their filmography, and... They were expecting their follow-up to be something that was on the level of quality of No Country for All Men. And I'm not saying Burn After Reading is not a high-quality film by any means. It would be the equivalent of when they did Fargo and Big Lebowski is the film that they follow that up with. Just two totally different films in terms of the tone and the style. And I think it just jarred people too much like people just were not appreciative the year that it came out since then though that film has gained a lot of praise and a lot more uh and it's held in much higher esteem since then so what i see with suburbicon going back to burn after reading is that this may be burn after reading 
with a period element to it. Like you mentioned costume design and production design. Maybe they could happen, or maybe the trailer is just something different than what the final product is, and there's this underlying relevant theme to it that pushes it into those above the lines. You know, I really don't know what's going to happen, but I will say I am very intrigued from this trailer. The trailer itself was like this great short film, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Maybe Oscar Isaac is something that happens. Mm. I hear that he just comes in halfway through and steals the movie. Maybe you're right. It could be. And you know what? Thinking about this a little bit more and tying it back to a Coen Brothers film, when I first saw the trailer for A Serious Man, when we all first saw the trailer for A Serious Man, did we think that that film would be a Best Picture nominee? No. Absolutely, I did. I did. No, I knew come that they on. were going to go for a movie about Judaism in the 1960s by the Coen Brothers. And I know who the Oscar voters are. Ah, oh, that's a good point. Fine, fine. I'll give you that. Damn it. Really? You really thought that was going to be a Best Picture nominee based on oh, the trailer Matt, before seeing the win. film? I thought it was, that was like, I put that at the very top that season. There was no doubt in my mind, and I actually am surprised it didn't get more. Uh, no, I'm not surprised. That that film got exactly what I thought it deserved. Mind you, it's one of my favorite films of that year, and I absolutely love that movie. But there was no way it was going to contend at anything other than picture and screenplay, unfortunately. With that said, Suburbicom could have a hidden depth element that is not being shown here in the trailer. It being written by the Coen brothers, I wouldn't doubt it, as their films, even when they are... Um, screwball comedy based do tend to have something uh, a, a hidden underlying message underneath it it looks like there's some sort of riot element here that turns into a comment on everything we see going on today possible like there's just anger bubbling up under the surface in this small suburban community possible and george clooney has spoken to that when he's uh giving notes on what this film is apparently the cohen's wrote it over 20 years ago hmm. and things have changed since then it used to be a lot lighter, and Clooney took this approach of making it fit into our times a little more. So that could be something. Possible. And you know what? It's inspired by Levittown, Pennsylvania, which is not so far from where I am in suburban oh Philadelphia. Oh my god, here we go again. It, Levittown was, back in the 50s, your ideal No, no, Eisenhower I know. I'm cutting, I'm cutting you off. Every single fucking movie, Michael, it's always about where it is in relation to where you live. God. <laughs> Every time. I'm taking Clooney for his word here. These are straight from his mouth. Uh, a film is set in Antarctica, and Michael says it's five minutes away from his house. Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, but it's interesting having it, this town, Suburbicon, inspired by that Eisenhower-era ideal family community, and then this dark underbelly that rises up. That could be something. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty, or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. All right. You ready to bust in some of the news for this week? Yes. Let's leave Suburbicon and off to new towns. All right. So first things first, call me by your name. James Ivory, sole writing credit for the film. Like, I'm, I'm more convinced than ever that this is James Ivory's Oscar win. He is in his late 80s or early 90s. 
been around forever. Merchant Ivory, we all remember him. So if Call Me By Your Name is the contender we all think it'll be, I have no reason to doubt that he doesn't go along for the ride. I really hope it happens. That's the kind of thing that, from a narrative standpoint, that's the kind of thing I love to see in the Oscars. Yeah, he is 89 years old. So yeah. Oh, yeah. There we go. Uh, Sony Pictures Classics will be, uh, I think, distributing this Annette Benning film called Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool. And based upon early word from what we're hearing rumblings about, this could be Annette Benning's ticket to an Oscar win, finally, for Best Actress. Which would be something considering we don't have a front runner yet. So she is uh, the lead in this movie, it sounds like, playing Gloria Graham, an Oscar winner herself. So we will know more when it premieres at Toronto Film Festival, but I sense a little still Alice here, as we saw with her Kids Are All Right co-star Julianne Moore. And coming off of that 20th century women's snub, it she, she could have the support. Yep, the snub helped, actually, it seems like. So we shall see. The only thing that gives me pause here is the director. It is from the director of Victor Frankenstein. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah, I don't feel good about this now all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. It's a totally different story, we think. God, I hope so. But just from a stylistic standpoint, I'm starting to think that this is not going to be an Oscar player just based upon that little nugget right there. Unless you have, like, zombie Gloria Graham. Oh, man. Okay, well, we'll find out. I mean, we're going to find out in a couple of weeks. So, God, man, as soon as you said that, now there's just a bad taste in my mouth all of a sudden. Um, the next James Bond film, Bond 25, big film in the Bond franchise, number 25, Daniel Craig reportedly signed back on. Uh, we are getting reports right now that Denny Villeneuve is a possible front runner to direct the next 007 film. I have mixed feelings about that. I feel like Denis is doing his own really cool thing. I know he has Blade Runner, but that's not so much a franchise that's like, it's, that seems to me like a one-off. It's not going to be all these films that come afterwards. And I feel like if you do Bond, you sort of get sucked into that world. You know, he is developing Dune right now, too. I don't want him to become the guy who steps into different genres, or into different franchises, and just becomes the director. I want him to craft his own work. Yeah, because his early work is pretty amazing in and of itself, but hey man, money talks. Yeah. So we will see. I'm more surprised that Daniel Craig is back on board because yeah. he was not having a good time two years ago. No. Inspector. Talking about slicing his wrist instead of doing the role again. <laughs> it's unbelievable that he's back. Really, truly is. I, I'm, I'm in shock by it, too. And I hope that he's still able to give us a solid performance. And if it is truly his last one, I would hope for hopefully his best. But something tells me that we may not get that. Uh, whoever they choose as a director is going to be key, though. It's going to be very key. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. New York Film Festival, New York 55. Amazon taking over the festival. The opening film is going to be Last Flag Flying. The centerpiece or the clo- uh, yeah, the centerpiece is going to be Wonderstruck. And then the closing film has now uh, been announced. It's going to be Woody Allen's film Wonder Wheel with Kate Winslet, which we need to keep an eye on this movie. I think Kate Winslet is a thing. I think she could be a thing. And this seems like it could be the type of Woody Allen movie that we haven't seen since Blue Jasmine, where it really breaks in, aside from just an acting category. That was the last time we saw him get a writing nomination. 
you know, this one opens in December. Maybe we could even see some sort of play in the best picture race. I wouldn't go he that far. He still has the goods. And, well, when he's on, he's on. Mm, I don't know, man. I, you know, Blue Jasmine. See, I think Blue Jasmine should have won best picture of the year. Yeah, fuck off with that. Are you kidding me? Um, Blue Jasmine is really good. Kate Blanchett, Sally Hawkins, screenplay nominations, all, all deserved. I Woody Allen is so tough because he makes like three bad films and a good film, but then every now and then a great one. And it's like, I, I just, you know what? With him, I can't predict anything. I just can't. What I can tell you is I can tell you that I think Kate Winslet is going to chew up the film's uh, dialogue. And I think that she will be the standout when all is said and done here. Yeah. I mean, the fact that they that they've waited until the fall to release this and they're giving it a slot at the New York Film Festival just says to me they're starting to set something up. Whether it's her or more than just her will have to be seen later on. Yeah. But I'm very, very excited. You know, this is set in New York, Coney Island. 1950s. It's, you know, the year you were born. (laughs) Uh, What do you think about Amazon taking over the New York Film Festival with these three films, essentially? I don't think it was just coincidence that it happened. This was probably all planned from the beginning. And I wonder if it'll start a trend in different festivals where we just see studios start to go towards different ones. So what if Toronto was all like Sony Pictures Classics and Weinstein all went to Telluride? Mm -hmm. Do you think that there's something about the fact, though, that the Netflix backlash at Cannes could have had some sort of an influence on this? Why do you think that has to do with this? Just because there's streaming services? Yeah, but there's more of an embrace of it here. Well, Amazon doesn't have the same model. Amazon puts their movies out in the theaters first. I understand that, but do you think that it is kind of a dig at Netflix because of that? I don't think so. I think Amazon is just its own big thing, and this is their way of making even more of a mark. I don't think Netflix really played into the equation, but hey, I wasn't in the meeting, so what do I know about it? Sure, sure. That makes sense. Uh, Last week on the show, we did talk about Venice. Uh, This week, we got the Toronto uh, uh, 42nd annual uh, TIFF lineup. And as always, lots and lots of movies. My God, it is... It's almost too much. Do you realize, Mike, that ever since the lineup has been announced, I've been contemplating spending $1,500 to just go to Toronto to watch 10 films of these. God knows how many that have been announced here, and I'm still debating it. I don't know if I'm going to do it still, but... Oh, save the money. They'll be in New York like a month later. Oh, God, I know. I just... You could wait 30 days. I know, I know. I just wish I could just go. <laughs> oh, man. Let me, because Battle of the Sexes, we got Breathe in here, Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Downsizing, uh, I Toned Ya, Frickin' uh, Mother, Mudbound, Novitiate, what else is here? Stronger, Suburbicon, as we said before, The Current War, Three Billboards Outside Epping, Missouri, The Shape of Water, The Square, Victoria and Abdul. Yeah, man, this is... Uh, Lady Bird, Hostiles, the new Scott Cooper. Oh, yeah, Scott Cooper. I I mean, God, easy I could pick 10 films to see from that. (laughs) Easily. I mean, we're going to find out so much about the race in the next coming days. Angelina Jolie's film, First They Killed My Father. Okay, wait, can we talk about the Angelina Jolie movie really quick? Sure. Have you heard about how she cast the lead in this movie? I did, I didn't want to bring it up, but... It's 
it's a very yeah dude they, like this rubbed me the wrong way yeah i don't know how i feel about this you know hmm you want to just clue our listeners in in case they don't don't know? Yeah, so there was a Vanity Fair piece a couple days ago about Angelina Jolie in this new movie, and she films it in a like a very poor village. And in order to cast the lead, they put money on the table, and they would have these young children come in and say what they needed the money for, what they would do with it, and then the casting director would take the money away and watch the reaction on the child's face. And apparently the one who got the lead role was saying how she was going to use the money to pay for her grandfather's funeral and had this emotional breakdown. And then they cast her. They better have fucking given her the money. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I I think she'll be okay working under Angelina Jolie's wing. But, I mean, that's... A little bit of a rocky road right there. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's not going to help. Uh, there's already going to be a bias in the settable form against this film as a result, and if there isn't, I'll be shocked. Uh, any other bits of news this week? I think that pretty much covers it. Uh, we have the festivals. You know, Venice was sort of similar to what we've just named with Toronto. You know, we have, like, Mother, Suburbicon, Three Billboards. Yeah. Uh, downsizing will start its journey there, and it looks like downsizing will also play a Telluride, so... Maybe those uh, negative reviews we heard out of press screenings, or not press screenings, uh, test screenings, maybe they fixed the film, or maybe it just wasn't the right audience to talk about it. I think it could be our visual effects winner, possibly. I don't know how they're going to do it. Like, are there visual effects in this movie, or are they just going to do, like, different different camera lenses to make it look an optical illusion? Uh, Something tells me that there's visual effects. There has to be. I wonder, because Alexander Payne usually downplays it. I would tell you were going to say he downsizes it. <laughs> <laughs> but oops, if Will was here right now, he'd be like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> Venice, Telluride, and Toronto. That is quite the combination. Yeah, I am, man. Absolutely. Uh, next year. I know I, always, I know I always say this every year, but next year. Next year, I will be there. Holding out hope. One of these days. But I will be at New York. I will be at New York this year, though. That is uh, That is definite, so... Okay, that'll pretty much do it for this week. Uh, episode 49 of the Next Best Picture podcast. Michael, where can they find you on the internet? As always, you can find me on Twitter at MikeMovie. And you could find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening to episode 49. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, TuneIn, Player FM, Stitcher, and CastBox. Once again, thank you so much for listening. Leave us that review on iTunes for a special giveaway prize, which we will be giving out next week on episode 50. And we will see you all next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.